everybody. This is Gary, and thank you so much for tuning in today. I want to tell you a really quick story about a guy named Alvin A. Gordon. And Alvin's outgoing voice message, if you called him and left a message, here's what you would hear. Hello, you fortunate person. You have reached the voicemail of Alvin A. Gordon in Memphis, Tennessee. Although we can't speak right now, it will be really good for you when we do. So please leave a message. Now, just drink that in. Like, what words come to your mind? Conceited, arrogant, egotistical, just to name a few. But here's the thing about Alvin A. Gordon is that he was so invested in taking his life's energy and helping other people, colleagues, clients, even inquisitive competitors, and many, many, many others, is that you actually were fortunate to spend some time with him. And he was going to see to it that that was the case, that that was going to be an outcome for you was something of good fortune and positive change. You see, Alvin believed in investing in relationships He believed in investing in human. And I know this because for all of my life, I was privileged to have Alvin A. Gordon as my uncle. He recently passed away, and I wanted to give this brief tribute to the man who had such a great impact in so many ways on my life and the life of so many others. Our guest today, Jody Ramsamy, has a lot in common with my beloved Uncle Alvin in that Jody also believes in investing and building relationships. So let's get on to the show and hear from and have a conversation with Jody. It isn't often, it's been only once before actually, but it isn't often where I get to have someone on the show who I've worked for, collaborated and created with, and also considered to be a really good friend as this person and I have gone through and continue to go through various journeys in life and business. So with that introduction, I'd like to welcome Jody Ramsamy to What's Next Now. Hey, buddy. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. It's an honor to be here and I always look forward to our chats and our discussions. And like you mentioned, there's been a lot of them, both formal and informal. I always leave energized. Uh, and I can enjoy the time that we got to spend together at Google. Yeah, for sure. And how the relationship has obviously changed now that we're no longer colleagues at Google. Yeah. And we could you know, engage on a whole plethora of topics, including stuff like this. It is. And, and what a blessing to be able to continue this relationship in this form. I, I feel so good about that, Jody. I remember many, many times when we were at Google, when we'd be running at the frenetic pace that we did and that I still do a lot of the time, you'd reach out to me, just drop me a short I am, and it just say, how are you feeling? How are you feeling today? And to me, that human focus element of who you are and how you operate in the world is memorable, and it's an element of success. And I'm wondering how you've taken that into this new journey in your life, where having left Google, you've now launched a business, you know, Vivid Presents. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to share that. And, and maybe before I dive into that, just because you mentioned the text message, how I'm feeling. And I'll just reflect on that for a moment Please. because I stumbled across this and a mentor of mine reinforced this whole concept. The difference between how you're feeling versus using something like I am, right? And Nick, a lot of the times when you speak to people, friends, family, 
employees, you know, someone will say, I'm stressed or I'm sad or I'm disappointed. And there's a very distinct difference between acknowledging or saying stuff like I'm feeling stressed. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling disappointed. Mm. I'm feeling preoccupied. Mm. The difference between I am versus feeling Mm. is significant because on the one hand, a feeling is a point in time. Right. It's circumstantial. And the opposite, by owning it and saying, I am stressed, because inevitably, like you're stressed all the time. <laughs> and then you're owning it to the, in most cases, to your detriment. There's obviously cases where it could be you are something that's positive of nature, but generally in the corporate world and the point you made around our interactions where we were, you know, we had like the, the shot clock <laughs> counting down and we need to get stuff done. And you almost, you lose focus and you can't, you don't have time to come up for it. Right. Because you, in the moment and you become that moment. Right. So I, I am stressed. I am behind schedule. That flip is like, I'm feeling behind right. schedule, but I'm not behind right. schedule. I have a loving family at home. The sun's still shining. Right. I'm grateful for all of this stuff. So I wanted to just comment on that because there's a very subtle shift in mindset. And that can lend itself to a whole bunch of stuff that you experience the difference between I am and how you feel. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate you give me the background that I never knew that. And it makes so much sense rather than identifying yourself as I am the embodiment of stress. It's yeah. saying instead, Hey, in this moment, under these circumstances, I'm stressed, but I am not stress. Exactly. And I've been going through a ton of transition over the last, Oh, forever. I think, you know, since I can remember having grown up in South Africa, having been through everything associated to being brought up in South Africa in the late 70s, early 80s, and then wanting to live the American dream. Mm -hmm. Touch on that because from the outside, the American dream was always for us the land of opportunity. There's no better in terms of seizing an opportunity by owning your own business and being able to start something from the ground up. But it's easier said than done. So I... I intentionally embarked on the corporate world first and built a very successful career in the corporate world back home in South Africa, but wanted to own my own, be my own king, so to speak, (laughs) define my own journey and go and break new ground. So I had a couple of failed and successful attempts at starting businesses. That's good to hear. Yeah, back in South Africa and, you know, in Europe and, and others. But most recently, to your point, in 2018, I founded a business with a business partner of mine called Vivid Presents. Wasn't a very big fan of the name. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's grown on me. So, I, you know, I kind of conceded the, the naming of the business to my business partners at the time. But what's really important about the business is it was developed and launched to fulfill a very specific need in the world of entertainment and in the world of building community. So we launched Vivid with the intention of reinventing arts and entertainment and curating experiential events. And what makes the business or the events experiential is that it brings a combination of world-class musicians, emerging talent that is like grassroots talent, and community, Mm -hmm. and puts them all in the very same environment. So... Mm -hmm. Each three aspects of it put together to the ultimate goal of creating this overwhelming experience of art and music and 
visual design and sitting next to you and rubbing shoulders with someone, your neighbor or your daughter or your family, you know, in crazy environments or unique locations. So that's kind of a little bit about Vivid and how we decided to start it up and what I've been doing since 29 on an ad hoc, 2019 on an ad hoc basis, but now full-time as of uh, January this year. I didn't know that you had been doing it that long on an ad hoc basis, so that's interesting to understand and gives me some appreciation for how far you've come. Is there anything significant behind the name Vivid Presents? Is that, you know, vividness of color, vibration of experience? Is there anything about the name? Yeah, my my co-founders, Mark and Dylan, we all agree that we wanted to produce events that are memorable. Mm. Memorable both in terms of visual appeal, sensory appeal, and the whole concept of something being vivid, you know, it lends itself to that goal. But in the world of arts and entertainment, it's not uncommon for a promoter or an agency, you know, to present something in a very polished or packaged mm-hmm. format. And that's how the, the name Vivid Presents came to be. It doesn't always sit well with me because I feel like I'm always presenting something. And uh, presentations uh, remind me of my corporate world and my, my love-hate relationship with PowerPoint. And it's time for presentation mode. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, now we'll present to you an immersive experiential event, and we know you're going to enjoy it. Popcorn is five ninety five a bucket, and sodas are four seventy five. You know, when you talk about you could bump into your neighbor or be there with your daughter or somebody else in the community, I was really keen on experiential events, and I've tuned into a number of your Instagram video live streams, and it, it looks like people are having a really good time. But what else is it becoming or could it become when you think of experiential event? There's a lot of ways you could go with that, right? That in of itself is a blank canvas because you're consistently introducing technology and other aspects of art to improve the experience. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a couple of examples, uh, some that is uh, you know, relatively simple to implement and others that are pretty complex to implement. So we host um, what we refer to as uh, basement events or basement parties. And the basement in of itself is a car park, a parking garage hmm. that one of our venues uses Monday to Friday or Monday to Thursday in this case to store their vehicles and store supplies for uh, their venue. But we convert the basement or car park into a mm. venue and we use a very simple spotlights to create a silhouette and elevate the silhouette as part of the experience so that the musician has got the spotlight creating the silhouette effect behind them while they're performing mm. and almost lends itself to like a halo. Oh, wow at point in time in the performance. So that's like a, a simple way of implementing experience. But then there's others where we use technology and visual art to create like a 3D experience using projection that transports the individual or the attendee to a particular location. All right. But it's kind of a play on your mind and your senses because you know you're in a basement. Or you know you're in a particular location, but all of a sudden you're surrounded by a mountain range or you're surrounded by woods or you feel as if you're walking down a particular pathway. That's like all, I guess, the technology and the lighting and the sound that lends itself 
But the other piece that makes it very, very experiential is like when I was growing up, we used to have community events at someone's home or someone's backyard or someone's garage. And it's not uncommon for people to get behind barbecuing or what we call in South Africa, braai. It's called, it's a traditional South African word for barbecuing, but there's pizza, burgers, barbecued meat. And, you know, it's like a cookout type concept. People hanging out. Yeah. People hanging out. So that in of itself is an experience and a very non-traditional experience for a lot of people in today's world because you don't get it very often, but it's such like a common experience. Such everyone is relaxed. And you can kind of break bread with your right. and you can talk about other stuff, but we foster that experience where people have a level of comfort. And funnily enough, yesterday we hosted one such event on a ferry boat in Seattle and we served intentionally pizza and cheeseburgers. I think I saw that one. Right? I think I tuned into that one. Yeah. So we served pizza and cheeseburgers, super, super cheap. You know, like a $4 pizza, $5 burger, $1 bottle of water. And we gave away water bottles because you do that to your neighbor. You hydrate them and you give them, you know, stuff. And automatically by implementing that subtle experiential element, people are automatically very comfortable and they start talking about it. Right. And they're like, hey, my name's Jody. What's your name? Oh, I'm Gary. Oh, you know, tell me a little bit more about yourself. So, And I hear all of this chatter going on during the event. But there happens to be a world-class musician performing. We happen to be on the water in Seattle. We've got the Space Needle in our background. We've got the city lights shining down on us. And you're creating, that's a very unique experience on a floating venue. Right. I think I'm getting a sense for the birth of your passion for creating experiential events, community events, neighborhood events, whether they're on a floating vessel or in the you know, bottom layer of a, of a park garage. It's because of, tell me if I'm wrong here, kind of what informed your childhood or your youth, what you grew up with. Yes. I mean, that's part of it. The other piece that I don't often speak about, but it's kind of implied, growing up in South Africa... I grew up during apartheid, and so racism was front and center. Right. And as part of, of being a person of color, there was a very distinct definition around what was acceptable, mm-hmm. what we were allowed to do, and what we were not allowed to right. do. So, you know, there's kind of this uh, different levels of citizens based on who you are, what you look like, and what you had access to. So automatically, there was a society of a certain demographic of people had everything and had access. And the rest of us, we had very little and we didn't have access. So when I said about my professional career in the world of big tech, as well as my businesses, I'm very intentional around making sure that everyone is welcome and everyone has the same experience. So if you come to one of our events, yes, it's experiential, but everyone's a VIP, regardless of who you are, what you look like, where you come from, what language you speak, everyone is welcome and everyone gets the same quality experience. And a lot of the times, well, 100% of the time, everything we do is open source. So we're not hiding or trying to create this environment where our know-how, our IP is not available to other promoters, not available to other producers. We are community-first business. Mm -hmm. Everyone's a VIP, and we at best try to make access to the events really, really Mm cost-effective. So that's another piece of like what we haven't spoken about necessarily previously. 
So now that I, I'm caught up with you on that, on some of your core operating principles, everybody's a VIP, it's affordable, it's open source. There's so many other places in the States and in the world that need that welcoming, inclusive environment. So I'm really curious, do you and your partners have ambitions or a desire to bring this to outside of Seattle? A hundred percent. We have started producing events and building, I don't want to call them employees or agents, but we're building community members to replicate the experience and replicate what Viva does in Seattle or the Pacific Northwest in other parts of the world. We're pretty active in Vancouver, Canada. I also personally have a soft spot for Canada because, uh, you know, I was welcomed into Canada when I first left South Africa. Mm-hmm. You know, pretty much gained a whole bunch of experience through the ability to work in Canada. And that helped me along my, my professional career. So Vancouver, Canada is near and dear to us. Uh, we'd already do events in Vancouver, Canada. We, we want to do events in Toronto, uh, where I lived for a couple of years. We about to announce events in Portland, Oregon, which is a sister city to Seattle then San Diego in California. And early next year, we in planning phases of doing stuff in London and Paris. So those are like the next two back outside of North America, but doing stuff back closer to Europe. And then I would love to do something back in South Africa. It's just been really difficult to coordinate uh, given everything that's happening back home. Mm. You'll hear me use home in two contexts, both for when I reference South Africa and when I reference America, (laughs) because it's my home in terms of my homeland, and then my adopted home, because I've just been naturalized in January. Congratulations. And thank you. And that's been a journey, because I've always aspired to be American. And, uh, you know, I had that idea when I was a kid, being indoctrinated by American sitcoms with my mom and, (laughs) and shows and like, I've got to get my ass to America. That's the land of the, land of the free. You know, because we went free, the land of the free was something that was, you know, I'm like, I want to be in a free society. Right. Yeah. Well, here you are in making something of it for sure. I'm compelled to inquire with you when you talk about some of the next target cities and cultures for Vivid Presents up the West Coast into Vancouver, over into Europe. There are so many different communities in America who have a painful need for this sort of coming together, this sort of culture unity. Would you consider doing anything in the East Coast or the Midwest or, you know, it'd be a whole different thing, right? Yeah, we would for sure. There's no particular location that's uh, out of bounds. Our hurdle has typically been time and access to resources. Like you mentioned, you know, I started the business. I have some founders who are no longer active and I'm in the process of bringing on board additional investors, if you will, and growing out the team so that we could do more and actually take the vivid experience to as many cities as quickly as possible. But like any other startup, we got to be smart as to what we take on and right. when we take on. Definitely. But the East Coast is you know, high on our agenda. The Midwest is high on our agenda. And like I mentioned, Toronto, you know, I consider Toronto and New York you know, trying to do stuff in those cities. Gotcha. 
When we think about technology, Jody, you know, and you worked at Meta, so you've worked at Microsoft, you've worked at Google. I mean, you've got your technology chops and check boxes. And you mentioned earlier kind of an audiovisual element of an experiential event, an immersive experiential event. What are some of the other things that could happen with AR, VR, or dare I even say AI that could make this more inviting to a broader group of people? I'm wondering if that dilutes yeah. what your original intention is, or, or is that something you would bring in eventually? That, that's something we, we're actively working on right now. To my earlier point, it's the hurdle here is time resources. There isn't a shortage of appetite or intellect or even strategy. That's all been defined. But if you humor me, I'll give you a bit of an example. So in the near future, you'll be invited to, as I'm talking from a consumer standpoint, you'll be invited to a vivid experience. And the experience is accessible by means of various channels. So the first channel would be an in-person channel. So you can come in and attend this event that one. in person. Yeah, you can experience everything associated to it. While you in person, you will notice that there's attendees that are experiencing the event by means of a digital medium. So they're either dialed in to the experience and you'll see them in some sort of theater view, like you see you know, in Zoom or Meet or you know, et cetera, or Teams. So, but they'll be dialed in to the experience and uh, they're still participating by means of video and or augmented reality elements. Beyond that, the musicians that are performing may very well be in the actual in-person venue or themselves streaming in and performing live. For a moment, you could consider that this type of experience with the mix between in-person, augmented reality, dialed in remote, on demand from the performing artist standpoint is replicated across the cities that I just right. mentioned. You know, so, so we would have a vivid experience lab, and that's what I would like to call it, a vivid experience lab in Portland, in San Diego, in London, in New York, in Cape Town, in Johannesburg, in Istanbul, as an example. And regardless of time zone, regardless of demographic, everyone is experiencing something on their terms, either live, either on demand, either online or in person. And it allows us to create this virtual concert type experience. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's where my mind's going. That's the strategy that I outlaid for the team. And that's what I'm uh, looking to build. And you know, I'll use a tech term, yeah, MVP and do some end user testing right. back in Seattle or in Vancouver once we find the right location and have more resources, to be frank about it. Because right now I'm the I joke with my team and they it's probably a poor joke. <laughs> and, and I use the word poor intentionally. And I joke with them that I'm changing my name to Full, first name Full and last name Entropy. <laughs> So, you know, I go by philanthropy and I'm no longer Jody Ramsey. <laughs> okay, Phil. Uh, Phil Anthropy, yeah. welcome to the show. And folks, if you haven't met Phil, his Venmo number is blah, da, 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 and you too can meet Phil. You know, that, that's funny. As an executive advisor and coach, I serve founders, 
entrepreneurs, executives, and all of those around them on the teams that they work with. I love working with people in leadership and contributor roles in the organization regardless of title. What matters most is the curiosity that clients have to overcome obstacles, create new paths for themselves and their organizations, and importantly, to do so while employing a mix of humor, determination, and a desire to create work that they and others love. If you are looking to change, achieve, or lead an initiative and feel like you would benefit by coaching with me, then please let me know and I'll schedule up to 60 minutes of listening time with you where I can hear and learn about the challenges and opportunities that you perceive you have in front of you that you would like to accelerate. There'll be no charge for this first session, and then we can determine if coaching with me is good for you. Thanks a lot. Just to riff a little bit more off of that beautiful vision that you painted of Vivid Presents Experiential Labs and what this will evolve into one day, I think, I don't know, a month or so ago when we were IMing with each other, somehow communicating, I shared with you an entrepreneurial duo out of Chicago who've created an app that allows people at live events to connect with each other real time at the event. And then it actually gets them off their phones and gets them into human to human connection, which that's my thing, like improve human connection, my tagline, that's what I'm into. So is part of the goal here to improve the human element of the experience, even if people are not virtual? It is. And it's a struggle. It's a struggle because, and you mentioned, like I worked for Facebook or Meta for a couple of years. It's a struggle because our culture and technology today is intended to create FOMO, you know, the sphere of missing right. out. And you can say whether it was by design or by coincidence, the culture also promotes the look at me, look at what I am. I have the fancy car. I'm front row at the basketball. I'm right next to Taylor Swift <laughs> at the concert. You know, so we see that even at our events, but what we attempting to do is distract the audience so much that they invested in the performance versus recording the performance. But it's still a struggle. Yeah. I look at our Instagram feed or our TikTok feed. And even, for example, today, we just did an event yesterday. There's probably like 27 videos or tags that is reposted on our Instagram reel. And yeah. that in of itself proves the point that people are trying to share the experience at scale but they disconnected a little bit because now they're recording and trying to get the right lighting, making sure that they zoomed in correctly. And I find myself doing that as well. But to your point, we came up with this hashtag and there's a backstory around how the hashtag came into existence, but we use this hashtag, hashtag our time to shine. And the hashtag our time to shine is like you're at the event and it's your time to shine. Focus on shining, Hmm. being invested and whatever that means. If you're the musician or the attendee, and just have a good time. I love yeah. that. Yeah, that's what we, we're trying to do. And I'll tell you quickly how it came about. One of our volunteers, we were driving to an event and she started singing um, to a track that was playing in my car. And her daughter mentioned, um, you know, mom, it's not your time to shine right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, it may not be your time to shine right now, but when you come to get to the event, it's your time to I shine. I love it. <laughs> I love, well, yeah, I mean, that yeah. just puts more emphasis on be here now, you know, enjoy the moment, yeah. take the breath in. Yeah. 
have both feet on the ground, take your finger off the record button, whatever. It's hard to do. It's hard to do. But if if we can move some back in that direction for snippets or periods or moments of time, it's a good thing. Yeah. Hey, I got to go back and ask you just because I'm I'm curious, like, what is one TV show that made you think, oh, wow, I got to come to America from from the era that you were watching those shows? Give us one fun, nostalgic memory there. Oh, man, there's so many. I mean, I, I think my English developed because of television and uh, my imagination developed because of television. Mm-hmm. Just the realm of possibility was because of television. So I'll start off by saying, like, you know, I watched a lot of television that was available as a kid. Weird stuff like Braveheart and Thundercats and Looney, Looney Tunes. A real mix. Yeah, he, He-Man and all of the stuff that was forced on us through whatever was available. You had any choice as long as it was He-Man <laughs> as a kid. Or, a lot of that was helping me with imagination mm. and the, identifying the differences between reality and imagination mm. or make-believe. But very quickly, I drew inspiration from seeing people of color in positions uh, that were creative positions, positions of authority, mm-hmm. and positions of, I don't necessarily want to say wealth, but in circumstances where they had standing in an environment. And that was important for me because we didn't have that back in South Africa. So if I seen, for example, Miami Vice, and I seen a person of color as a detective right. and helping solve a mystery, or if I was watching Chips and seeing someone in a, of color in a position of authority as a police officer, right. it gave me hope that there's places in this world where we can aspire and actually have those responsibilities. And the same with other television series where there was uh, more of a balanced view around being able to be successful. So there's a, there's a ton of that type of stuff. There's a lot of TV shows these days that feature people of color, of all colors, in positions of power and balanced views. And then you get out of the TV set or, or the Netflix or whatever your streaming channel is, and you get out onto the real world and onto the street. And it's hard for a lot of people to to digest that they have a chance, that they can move from where they are to a position of power. And in some ways, like what you're doing, the journey you've put yourself on, the one that you've grabbed hold of and, and are writing is going to be that vision for other people, just like those TV shows kind of were in some fantastical way for you. Is that part of what motivates you? It does. It does motivate me. And, you know, it reminds me of a quote, and I can't for the life of me remember who, who the quote's by, but there's a quote that says the underdog believed he could, so he did. And I was very much that underdog. Like we had resources more so than uh, people like black Africans in South Africa, because there was this weird ratio of class. You know, if you were black African, you had nothing and no, no access. If you were a person of color, but weren't black, uh, Asian origin or what we consider Negro or colored in South Africa, you had a little bit more access, but not enough access. Mm. And then there was people that were of European ancestry or. Caucasian that had all the access and all the preference and everything other than Caucasian was always an underdog scenario. Interesting. You know, but we lived off belief of belief for a better day, belief of being able to be educated and having an opportunity to progress. The quote always comes to mind and it's something that I always remind myself of. And there's a whole bunch of others because I eat that stuff up. I live in, 
I breed literature and books and video and just content. Yeah. You know, I've always felt myself like being very diverse in terms of where I draw on influences. You brought a lot of that to the team that I was working on when you were leading at Google, a lot of just a brick solid belief in positivity and do you see the possibility for that for people who don't have so much opportunity in America? Do you get exposed to that class of people that from inner cities who just, they're not given a lot to get going with? Yeah, more so in America lately because of the fallout post-pandemic and you know what we find ourselves in. I'll call out that the struggles that we experience now, it's not a racial struggle, no race group is given an easier ride, so to speak. Yeah. You know, the struggles that we face with in, in America and the community that I'm part of, we're all struggling. And it's sad because there's no easy fix. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Like we have musicians that we try to support and we have in excess of a hundred odd musicians, all demographics, different passions and circumstances, but they're all trying to get ahead and have some of the struggles in terms of support from the state, access to resources, or just access to knowledge to help them progress. Mm. We're trying to address it and play a small part, but we'd love to do more. But it goes back to resources and investment. And that's partly why a lot of my events, you'll see us promote an early start to an event so that we can give more people access mm. to perform. That's so cool. Yeah. You're really doing the piece that you can do, which I have such respect for, Jody. I want to turn for a minute to something else I have respect for, which is your forthcoming book or your manuscript. And to the extent that you want to just say a little bit about that, I don't want to mention anything that you don't want to mention, but I'd be curious to know where did that come from and what role does that play in your life? Yeah, it's not a secret any longer. I've been writing a book or writing uh, since I can remember. And for the longest while, I didn't give myself permission to be a writer. I, like, or, or even I didn't give myself permission to be successful mm -hmm. in certain aspects of life where I've had a passion. And writing or being a journalist or being an author was one such area because I was so invested in entertainment mm -hmm. and tech in particular. You know, that's a full-time game. Yeah. So I've been writing for as long as I can remember. It came to light around the January timeframe with everything else that was transitioning in my life, relationships, my professional career, doubling down on Vivid Presents, that it's kind of like this inflection point. I wouldn't call it the midlife crisis. Mm. I would call it like an inflection point that says, gosh, I have so much knowledge and experience, both of which are formal learned experience and or lived knowledge right. or formal learned knowledge and you know combination of the two. So it got me thinking around, I would have loved to know half of the stuff that I know now. And for the most part, like you learn stuff from your, your big brother, your dad, your mom, your aunt, your uncle, a mentor. And it got me thinking, okay, like what are the topics or the cheat codes in life that I would have loved to have learned and or have knowledge on and benefited to get me ahead. You see this in the world of gaming. You can go and buy cheat codes to get ahead. Right. So it got me thinking, like, there's a ton of those cheat codes that I have visibility to in terms of my life over the last 40 plus years that I would want to share with the world. 
So I started writing a book and putting some structure to it. The book's called uh, Control-Alt-Delete, and it's a combination of lived and learned knowledge and experience, and there's various topics. The name is paying homage to my big tech background, because Control-Alt-Delete are keys on a keyboard that allows you to lock and unlock the world uh, that you want to embark on. <laughs> And for me, that, that allowed me to leave South Africa. The world of tech allowed me to, I hit control, I'll delete and open this window Amazing. to the rest of my life. The book is like 15 plus chapters. Each chapter is in its own right, a book or an ebook. It spans topics like sobriety, financial intelligence, emotional intelligence, narcissism, attachment theory, you know, a whole bunch of stuff that unless you're in it, you wouldn't have someone talk to you. Like I wouldn't call you up and say, hey, Gary, I'd like to talk to you about attachment theory. I, I'd be uh, down I, for that, Jody. I mean, I'd, I'd be that one in a hundred people who'd be like, yeah, man, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, let's talk about narcissism and how to navigate narcissism. <laughs> well, yeah. So that the book is going to be released in some way or form on Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is symbolic because it's Thanksgiving. And, uh, it's not a self-help book. It's a help others book because my hope is that there's something in there for everyone and it's shared generationally and it helps others. The other piece that's evolved since we last spoke, I've also been applying my mind to the concepts in the book and how it relates to culture. And I posted something about this a little while ago and I related it to my experience. When I graduated, I was all about the hustle and the hustle culture. I wanted to work 20 hours a day. I wanted to be the best technician I could possibly be. And I wanted to get ahead. And I wanted to be able to buy a car, continue my education, buy a house, you know, get married, afford the luxuries of life. And then I got to a point where I couldn't hustle any longer mm. because I was burnt out. Mm. And then that burnout led me to wellness culture mm. and finding the balance between work and life mm. and family and passion and purpose. And I embarked on that journey. And then I was like, well, now I'm too healthy and I'm not enjoying what I'm doing because I can't eat, I can't eat a cheeseburger. <laughs> I really like ice cream, but I'm going to put on the pounds or I'm spending too much time in the club. And so it's not wellness. So wellness culture kind of like eroded half of what I enjoyed. And the pendulum swung and then, too much in the other direction. Exactly. So it hustled too much. It swung too much on the wellness side. And then I got sitting there and thinking to myself, well, you know, there's another type of culture, which is probably a little bit takes the best out of all of everything. And I started referring it to with friends and family as uh, thrive culture. And thrive culture is this intersection between what's most important to you circumstantially, mm -hmm. what gives you the most happiness and happiness means different things to different people, sure. but promotes longevity right? Mm. Taking on board the best, again, subjectively around wellness, the best subjectively around what your hustle mm. is and what you're trying to achieve and live through this trife culture in a window, so to mm. speak. The book is going to touch on aspects of that and what that means for me. It goes without saying, for me, that's in the world of arts and entertainment and building community and being super creative and showing that there's alternatives, Right. There's alternatives to what success looks like. There's alternatives to monetary success, to all of this. You know, this I can talk about it for ages, as you can tell. But uh, that's, that. that's how it's evolving. 
Yeah, so stay tuned for more on that topic. Yes, we'll have to put that in the show notes, or you'll have to give a mention about that in in a minute or so here. I thought I was going to come to this conversation, Jody, and raise some topics to ask some questions and figured, oh, I knew this guy pretty well. But I got to tell you, man, I, I learned a lot about you today. I really did. And I, I appreciate you even more for what you stand for, what you believe in and what you're doing, really what you're doing, the courage that you have to be doing what you're doing, kind of catapulted into it as a pivot point based on, you know, what happened in January. And so now that we've been through this little chunk of time together, I want to bring us to a pause and ask you, what's next now for, for you? Oh, I, I ask myself that every day before I go to bed. You know, I, I've got this little process where before I go to bed, I have a list of stuff that I'm grateful for. Yeah. And generally speaking, it's like I don't know, five to ten items that I'm grateful for. And then there's a list of three aspirations you know, that I'm, you know, you can use the word I'm trying to manifest or I'm visualizing or I'm working on. Right now for me on the right hand side of, you know, my go to bed list is continuing to, well, I'll backtrack a little. So Make Vivid presents a, a global experiential concern in some way or form so that we touch more people and, you know, grow the Vivid fam. Launched a book in November. And everything that goes along with the book to raise awareness around what I'm calling tribe culture and the merits of, of tribe culture. Last but not least, we, we didn't touch on this, but I've come to terms that like I'm a nomad and I'm an explorer. So I, you know, I want to get back out there and take the show on the road and go in and explore because I feel that there's, we're all living on borrowed time. Mm. And I'm personally not getting any younger. And there's just so much more that I want to discover mm. and explore. So I have a hit list of places that I'd like to go and visit and produce events. So kind of marrying the two. And I most recently like managed to do that in Iceland because I've always wanted to go to the Blue Lagoon in Iceland. So I always have a weird location and or some experience that I'm coming soon on my Instagram <laughs> reel. <laughs> I tell you, man, you're, you're mashing it up and, and making it up as you go in a way that looks like a lot of fun. I'm sure it is. And I'm, I'm sure there's multi dimensions to the story. I'll just, I'll just say that, but I'm glad you spent some time with us today, Jody. And I'm sure the listeners learned a lot and gained a lot. If people want to reach out to you, are you open to providing a method for that? Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm an open book, so to speak. And you can, you know, find me on Instagram. My handle is at Jody Niran, J-O-D-Y-N-E-R-A-N. You can find me at Vivid Presents. My email address is Jody at VividPresents.com. I'm happy to connect one-on-one uh, -on -one in groups and keep in touch. Whew. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, Jody, man, thanks for being on the show. Um, I love you. I love everything you're about and, uh, you know, more great stuff to follow. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, op open to keeping connected. And I really enjoyed the discussion, even though I don't like necessarily talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Somehow I cornered you into doing that. So I guess that one's on me. <laughs> All right, buddy. We'll catch up soon. Bye. Bye. 